good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And uh, as I said, my name's Howard Alverson. and my wife, my family with me, my wife Rebecca, and then our three daughters, that's Andrea, Hannah, and Emily. And uh, we are out of Bible Baptist Church in Atala, Alabama. If you don't know where that is, don't worry. Don't many people know where Atala, Alabama is at. But uh, we're about an hour northeast of Birmingham off of Interstate 59 there. But uh, we are uh, also sent out of Prayer Baptist Missions out of Bowling Springs, South Carolina. And uh, we are missionaries to the country of Scotland. Scotland is uh, has a population of about 5.5 million people. And in land mass, is about the size of South Carolina. And uh, now, out of 5.5 million people, 60% of the population is professing no religion whatsoever. It is a, a, it's a country that is steeped in atheism and evolution and, and taking on the humanistic mindset. And uh, it, is a, it is the birthplace of a man named by David Hume. He would well, more than likely what we would call the father of modern-day humanism. He was a professor at the University of Edinburgh, and uh, he is, um, there's a statue of him there that depicts him in Roman garb, and it depicts him uh, holding a, a tablet on his knee that is uh, empty. And that's his mindset on the world and the universe and things around him is just nothing. But he also has his foot propped up on another book, and that's a depiction of the Bible. That's the thought. And that's the thought of Scotland now as far as Christianity and, and the Word of God goes. It is, it is a country that used to send missionaries around the world. Men like David Livingston and Robert Moffat all came out of, out of uh, Scotland, and, uh, but now they need someone to bring the gospel back to them. It's, it's because of Scotland that we have our King James Bible that we hold in our hands. It was King James the Sixth of Scotland that later became King James the First of the United Kingdom that authorized that we could have the Word of God in the English language. But now they need someone to take it back to them. There, um, it's a. Uh, I say that we, uh, the Lord allowed us in 2006 for the first time to go to Scotland and. Uh, He's given us an avenue that we can go. My pastor was a missionary there for eight years himself, and there's a man out of our home church that's there already as well. And it's because of that has allowed us the opportunity to go back and forth over many years to go. And it's because that first visit, the Lord began to work in my heart about the place and the people. And uh, when I first got there, I seen a place and a people that had a need. And they had a problem. They had a sin problem. That's the problem that they have. And uh, and I, I'm reminded of Nehemiah and Nehemiah and, and the first chapter of the book of Nehemiah. He is he sees a people and a place and a problem. And uh, but later on, uh, the Lord allowed us to go uh, to Scotland for six months in 2018 and spend six months over there. And uh, by request of our pastor, just to to get a confirmation of that's where he wanted us to go and where he wanted us to be, and uh, and to make sure my family could survive and to make it on the mission field. And uh, that's if nothing else, we don't want to be one of those that just has to come off the field because we just couldn't make it on the field. And we want to be faithful to the end, and uh, that's our goal, and that's what we want to do. But we want to lift. Christ uh, before people that need that need Him, and uh, so we were able to go there in 2018 and spend six months there. And the Lord uh, did an amazing work there. We saw souls saved, and we saw the Lord confirm some things in our heart, and and we're thankful for that. But the the Lord did give us the direction of where He wants us to go. Uh, we'll be in the city that the church is there that's in is the city of Dundee. It's 150,000 people in it. 150,000 people. There's only one independent Baptist church there that's preaching the gospel out of 150,000 people. So while we were there, the Lord gave us a, ver- a, a vision and a burden for a 20-mile radius around the city of Dundee. 
And now that increases the population to over 500,000 people. And out of 500,000 people, there's still only one independent Baptist church there that's preaching the gospel. And so the Lord laid on our hearts that, but also give us the, the burden for uh, the city of Forfar. Forfar has 14,000 people in it with no gospel witness in it whatsoever. When we get to uh, Scotland and I begin to have, we begin to hold services there, I'll be the only man that's standing behind a pulpit in the city of Forfar. There is other churches there, and I use that term loosely, but I'll be the only one standing by a man that's standing behind the pulpit when we get there. It gives you a little bit of a showing the, the, what, how the country has digressed in Christianity. And, uh, and so when we get there, the, uh, the Lord has given us the, uh, the burden for that city, 14,000 people, nobody there to tell them about Christ and what he did for them on Calvary. And so the Lord uh, allowed us uh, in the city of Dundee, there's a central location there that you can go there, and you can see the entire city, and we would go up there and pray over the city of Dundee. I told Brother Jim, I said, I want to find a place like that for all the cities that the Lord's laid on our heart. And we found a place like that for for, for, where I could overlook the city. And, And it wasn't just by chance, but Brother Jim at that time was not able to actually go to the place because he had to walk a little ways and he needed knee replacement so he couldn't really walk back there. And it was the Lord just had it for me for that time. And I was able to go back there and begin to pray and just ask the Lord. I said, Lord, let me see the souls. Let me see beyond the buildings. Let me see beyond the houses, the businesses. Let me see the souls that are there. And I got done that day and began to lift up my, my lift my head up, and the Lord just brought to my mind, lift up your eyes on the fields, for the white all ready to harvest. And as I looked out, between me and the city, there was a field of wheat there that was ready to be harvested. And it was ready. It was, it was at that point that they were white all ready to harvest. And he just brought that mind, and he said, they're ready. They're looking. And when... Things aren't on restriction and such. The, the church there in Dundee, they go to, they go to four for once a month to hand out literature and street preach and just try to help begin to break up and to prepare the soil there in that, in the hearts of the people. And they're searching. They're looking. They don't know what they're looking for, but they're looking for something. They've had religion for hundreds of years. Religion that's not changed or made any difference in their life. And, uh, we want to show them Christ. And Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, we'll draw all men. And we want to lift him up before a lost and dying world. How shall they hear without a preacher? And, uh, and we just need to lift him up. And that's what we want to do is get there and lift him up. And, uh, but, um, they're looking and, uh, they'll be out on the streets there and they'll begin to pull out their phones and, and pull up, uh, and they'll, uh, FaceTime or Facebook Messenger, uh, their, their friends and their family and show them what's going on. They'll come up and begin to uh, engage in conversation and they'll begin to wave and they're, they're interested and they're looking. That's just unlike the Scottish people. They're, they're, they're just to their self and they don't, but they're actually interested and they're looking for something and we believe the Lord is prepared, prepared the parts of the people and he's preparing us to get there and uh, we're thankful the Lord's given us a building we have a place to meet when we get there a uh, 5,000 square foot building that's got tables chairs it's got a piano in it it's got a full kitchen in it it's got three bathrooms in it it's got a place to meet it's got a couple rooms for Sunday school I mean it's everything we need and the Lord gives it to us for $120,000 and uh, we're thankful for that uh, to have a place to meet and uh, you can talk to a lot of men over there in the United Kingdom or Europe and, and, and to have your own building your own property is a big deal 
And the Lord, I don't know why, but I'm thankful the Lord has seen fit to give us a building. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And uh, so we are thankful for the opportunity to be able to present the, the need and the burden there. If you will, please get a prayer card. We need financial support, but we need your prayer support. We need that uh, 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 as much as we do need the financial support. And uh, we uh, have tickets for January the 18th. Uh, we're planning on flying out. The Lord, we get all of our... Uh, Visa work done and, and different things for that. We still have a few things to get done there, but uh, we plan on leaving in January the 18th, and uh, and uh, we're about 96% of our support, and so we're thankful for we're at the end, and we're just think, we're excited to get there. There's some bittersweet to it, but we're excited to get to the field that the Lord's called us to. And uh, if you will, pray for Scotland. And that he continue to prepare the hearts of the people, and but he'll continue to prepare us and get and uh, that we uh, be ready. There's going to be a lot of things we spent some time over there, but we don't know everything by far. And there's going to be some things that we're going to need the prayers of his people. And we're thankful for the opportunity and look forward to be able to spend the rest of the week. Thank you, brother. All right, well, it's good to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. And good to be out this evening and uh, begin these days of mission emphasis right here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. We've been excited about getting to come down. and got a full house tonight. Will, bring me that bottle of water, please. Got a full house tonight. That's a great start. Amen. And uh, so I'm so excited that you're here and excited about what the Lord's doing and trusting that the Lord is going to do exceedingly great things in the midst of the church this week. And I think that uh, that last song that the Alberson girls sung for us tonight is perhaps exactly what you and I need to focus on if we're going to have effective missions in our church and in our in our personal lives, and that is we have to want our life to count for Jesus. Because missions inevitably, whether it be the missionary that's going to the field, or whether it be the 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 family, the church family that is supporting that missionary giving so that that missionary can go, regardless of which one of those it is, you'll find quickly that there's a sacrifice involved. Amen? Amen? And so that killed the meeting, right? Well, when we consider the sacrifice that Christ made for us, perhaps it's not such a difficult thing in the first place, is it? Amen? And uh, He gave His life for us by dying, but He expects us to give our lives for Him through living. He's not asked us to be a dead sacrifice. He's asked us to be a living sacrifice. And he said that's to be holy and acceptable and perfect. And that's exactly right. It's our reasonable service. Amen. All right. Well, I want you to find your place tonight in the gospel of Mark. And I'm in chapter number 16, Mark chapter number 16. And I want to take a text there tonight that is very familiar in the subject of missions. But it is where I believe the Lord has kind of directed our heart tonight. We're in the Gospel of Mark, the last chapter, in chapter number 16, and we'll read, well, I'll probably take time to read three or four, maybe seven or eight verses tonight in the text, and then we'll focus in on one place. Now, these are different days. This is a missions conference. And so there's a focus to these days that unlike a camp meeting or unlike a revival meeting, we are laser focused on one subject, and that is reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We hang the flags, they set up the displays, and uh, there's a theme to the meeting, 
And I want you to get in on that. Amen. If I do my job as the speaker in this meeting, when you walk out of these doors, you'll feel the weight of the world on your shoulders. Amen. Because we're to be reminded in days like this, we're to be reminded in days like this that you and I are responsible for evangelizing the world, reaching the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're also mindful we can't do it without Him. Amen. And so we're going to magnify Him because if He is lifted up, then He'll draw all men unto Himself. And so we want to magnify Him. Now, I, I was I was thinking I was thinking earlier today, and I jotted down some things. This is what we're going to do this week in these days. And by the way, they're going to be gone before you know it. You're just going to turn around, and they're going to be over, and uh, they'll be behind us. They'll be past. But this is what we plan to do in these days of meetings. Number one, I want you to write this down somewhere. Let's celebrate. Yes, amen. amen. You say, preacher, what are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate the heritage of Lighthouse Baptist Church and the history of this assembly in the matter of New Testament missions. Amen. If you thought somebody come in here to criticize you, you've come to the wrong place. We didn't come to criticize, we came to condone. Amen. Amen. Thank God for what you're doing. Yeah. And so we came to celebrate some things. I think we ought to celebrate the church's involvement in world missions. Amen. I think we ought to celebrate that there are missionaries on the wall in the back that you already partner with on a regular basis. And so we're going to celebrate the church's involvement. We're going to celebrate those missionaries that are on the field. Many of them are dear friends to you. And let's celebrate what they're accomplishing for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. They've seen souls saved. Right? I was in Kansas Sunday and one of your missionaries was Marco Polo and and I don't do that. But they were Marco Polo and whatever that even means. I thought that was a game you played in water when you was blindfolded. But somebody told me you had to actually see something to look at this. I don't know. But I'm sitting at the dinner table after church with a missionary, with a, with a pastor in, uh, in Kansas on Sunday and he was sending video clips with one of your missionaries, John Williams. He was showing us pictures of him baptizing an elderly woman that had gotten saved by the grace of God. I think we ought to celebrate that. Amen. Amen. I think we ought to celebrate that. My friend Bill Goins um, is uh, over the missions at Calvary Baptist Church in in uh, Tunnel Hill, Georgia. You may know him because he also is a printer. You know, they have the print ministry there. But if you were to go in Calvary, when they have their mission board... They've got a thermometer beside the mission board. Now, I, I've done a lot of mission meetings. And it's not uncommon for a church that has a, a particular financial goal in their mission operations for the year to put up some sort of thermometer and they track the funds that come in week to week, month to month toward that ultimate annual goal that they have. But when I looked at this, that's not what that thermometer was. You know what it was? It was a souls saved thermometer. What Brother Goins does is every month when the prayer letters come in from their missionaries that the church partner with, partners with, he goes through those letters and as he reads them, if this missionary reports they had two souls saved, or this one said they had five saved, or maybe they had an evangelistic campaign, had ten saved, whatever that is, he writes that down, adds them up, and adds that to that thermometer. And when you look at that thermometer going up over the course of the year, 
It's celebrating sinners getting saved by the grace of God. That's what it's all about. Amen. And so we want to celebrate this week. And then then what we want to do this week is we want to confer together. Always that big discussion. Is it a revival or a conference? We're going to confer. We're going to get together and we're going to have a conversation about what we can do to reach the world with the gospel. So tonight you learn something. You learn there's a place called Dundee. And in a 20 mile radius of the city of Dundee that there are 500,000 souls and there's one gospel preaching church reaching 500,000 souls. Amen. Well, that ought to prompt something in our mind. And the question ought to be, what could we do about that? What could we do about that? Well, if you'll sit around and talk to Brother Howard, he'll tell you what you can do about that. Amen. How you can pray, how you can give, how you can visit. Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And so I'm saying to you, we're going to confer. And through the week, we'll confer with some other missionaries. And we'll confer with the Word of God. And if we're where we're supposed to be, we'll confer with the Holy Ghost. We'll let the Holy Ghost speak to our hearts personally about our involvement in this matter of New Testament mission. So, number one, we're going to celebrate. Number two, we're going to confer. But number three, we're going to commit. Amen? We're going to make a commitment. Maybe your commitment is to be a better witness where you work. Maybe your commitment is to get involved in a visitation of the community that you live in. Maybe your commitment is to pray more diligently. Maybe your commitment will be an amount that God's going to place on your heart to commit to give through your church so that this New Testament mission program can go forward like it's never gone before. Amen. Pray in the prayer of Jabez in missions. Lord, enlarge my coast. Amen. We want to do more. Yeah. We, we, Brother Blue used to say, we ought to pray and we, we ought to seek the word of, we ought to seek the mind of God so that the sun never sets on the outreach of our New Testament church. Amen. Amen. Brother Blue used to say, he said he thought it'd be the mind of God that every New Testament church strive to have somebody preaching on, for 24 hours on Sunday. Oh, wow. Amen. One in every time zone. That'd be different in continent, Brother Jamie. Amen. One in every time zone. I don't know how you'd figure all that out. But one in every time zone. Somebody, somewhere from midnight to midnight would be preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate. We're going to confer together. And we're going to pray about a commitment, a fresh, renewed, stronger commitment to what God wants us to do in this matter of New Testament mission. So... Something is going to have to motivate us in that direction. And I want you to look at this familiar text. If I were to say, give me two verses of Scripture or two passages of Scripture that are often associated with New Testament missions and mission conferences and revivals, most likely people would say Acts chapter 1 verse 8. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. We know that. The other one is this one that I'm going to read tonight. Right here in the, in the last words, and we say that, we say that dutifully, I guess you would say. The last words on earth of our Savior before He ascends back to the Father. He's giving us an instruction and it is a concise instruction. I could take you to the Gospel of Matthew. We may do that. Before the week's over, because I think it's important that we see 
the biblical pattern of New Testament missions laid out in the New Testament. But if we were to go to the Gospel of Matthew, we would find that there is, well, if I can say it this way, there's some mild complications when it comes to the matter of New Testament missions. And as you proceed further, you'll find that that, that different Gospels have a different perspective of what you and I are to do in this thing of reaching the world with the Gospel. But when you come to what God said or what the Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, it is a concise instruction. That doesn't leave much for us to debate. Amen? And so I want to see what the Holy Ghost would have for us in this text. Look, if you would, please, in verse number 14. Let's just read quickly down through the end of this chapter. I'm in Luke, excuse me, Mark chapter 16, verse number 14. The Bible said afterward, He appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen Him after He was risen. Amazing, really, when you consider how close they were to the events of the resurrection. But their hearts had already gotten hard and their faith had failed. But look at verse 15. So Jesus upbraids them. He disturbs them. And he said, you should have believed them when they told you they had seen me, that I'd risen just like I promised I would. But then look at verse number 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world... And preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Somebody ought to hold the mules and shout right there. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Notice the balance. He said there's no reference to baptism being a reason for damnation. Amen. The emphasis is on the believing. Verse 17. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Now I want you to look at verse number 20. The Bible said, and he, and, and, and they went forth. Now that's important because verse 15 he said, go ye. And in verse number 20, they went. How about simplicity? Amen. He said, go and they went. The Bible said they went forth and preached everywhere. Pretty important phrase right there. Amen. Preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Now, I'd like to deal with all of that, but certainly time won't permit that. But I'm interested in verse number 15. There's that mission verse, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our common friend, and some of you would know, Brother Gary Chris says, every creature needs a preacher. What a text. Amen? Well, here I told you, we're going to celebrate, we're going to confer, and then we're looking to commit. We're going to, we're going to make a commitment in our heart what God wants us to do in this matter of New Testament missions. How exciting. But I'm honest about it. I, I'm persuaded that in our human nature, and every one of us has got to deal with that, right. right? In our human nature, you and I are going to need something to motivate us to do what we're supposed to do in the first place. 
That's real easy. I can stand in this pulpit and say, you ought to do it because God said so. That ought to be enough. But we don't operate that way very easy. Amen. Several years ago when I worked for Georgia Pacific, I remember getting a phone call. Come over to the office of the sales manager for the division that I was working for. And I went in his office. I sat down and he said, I need some information about uh, our salesmen and how much they've sold in the last year and what their commission has been and what their salary's been. I need you to put it all together with me and uh, sit down and talk to me. He said, we're going to have to change the way that we write their compensation. And I said, all right. And I said, what are we doing? And he said, well, the legal department tells us we ought not be working on commission anymore. So we're going to have to figure out how much to pay these guys that they'll actually still kind of maintain the same salary. And I looked at him and I said, what do you think about that? And he said, I don't think it's going to work. He said, these are home-based employees. That was pre-COVID, amen. This is home-based employees. That was in the 1990s, early 90s. And uh, he said, uh, you know, if I'm not holding their salary accountable for their sales quotas, he said, I'm kind of wondering what's going to get them out of the bed and on the road at 7 o'clock in the morning. And if I'm not holding them accountable for calling on their customers and making the orders up, if they're going to get paid whether they get the order or not, he said, I'm not sure what's going to keep them out there pressing and pushing and selling. He said, I think everybody needs a little bit of a carrot dangled on a stick in front of them. Amen. Well, I'm almost persuaded, preacher, that even in this matter of missions, we'll need a little bit of motivation. We're going to need something to help us be motivated to make that commitment in our own lives toward reaching others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to deal with some things. I I want to look at this 15th verse and I want to extract, at least we're going to start, but I'm going to extract four words out of this verse. And I'm persuaded at least these are the things that motivate me in this matter of missions. Would you look at it with me? I want you to mark or circle, if you would, the first word. And uh, it's just a pronoun, but it's a very important pronoun. When I think about what's going to motivate me in missions, I'd like to circle that little word, he. Amen. The Bible said, he said unto them. Boy, I'd say if anything ought to motivate you and I in this matter of missions, it is none other than the Holy Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I sing about the girls singing and they were singing about the Father's love. Amen. How deep the Father's love for me. Man, I don't know what's going to motivate your heart. I don't know what's going to move you. I don't know what's going to stir you up if you'll let me use that expression loosely. But I'll say tonight that there ought to be something about the one who's making the request of us. Because if I could say it like this, nobody has ever done for me what Jesus done for me. And if Jesus is the one that's speaking to us, if Christ is the one that is asking us to go and to give and to do so that the kingdom may be built and that the word of God may go forth and sinners may be saved, then I should be motivated simply by the person who's asking it. You ever had anybody in your life that you'd say, that's one I can't say no to? 
I have a pastor friend in Tennessee, and he talked about another pastor in Tennessee, and I noticed that this fellow would almost never leave his church unless this other pastor asked him. He said, Preacher, he said, I don't know what it is. He said, I don't know how to say no. I don't know how to tell him no. There's somebody in your life you don't know how to say no to. Might be your mother. Might be a father. Come on now. Some of it might be a child. You ever heard that expression? They got me wrapped around their finger. Y'all got awful quiet. Y'all are, y'all are accusing me of not preaching now meddling. Amen. And then there's somebody in your life that because of what they mean to you, because of what they've done for you, because of who they are, it is important for us to get a hold of the fact that they would not, you, you cannot say no to them. I'm persuaded the Lord Jesus ought to be somebody like that. Look what He's done for you. Look what He's done for me. We ought to get excited because Jesus has had an impact on our life. So the Bible uses that little pronoun, He said. Seems insignificant except that it is identifying the one that is making the request of you and I. He said. A Savior, if you will, that sovereign. Can, can you and I get our minds around that for about 15 seconds? Can we kind of comprehend just for a moment or two what it means to have a Savior that is not other than a sovereign God? Well, man, who loved you? God did. Who died for you? God did. Who saved you? God did. I'm talking about God, friend. God, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who stepped out of nowhere and stood on nothing and made everything by the weight of His words. I'm talking about the one who came from heaven to earth and died as a substitutionary sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. Thank God. That's who you and I need to think about. Amen. There's a Savior that's sovereign. I, let me, I don't want to preach these, but I want to deal with them. I'd say the loveliness of His person motivates me. There is no friend like the lowly Jesus. There's nobody that can say my name like He says my name. There's nobody that can touch me like He touches me. There's nobody that can bring peace in my heart like He brings peace in my heart. There's nobody that can change my life like He has changed my life. The loveliness of His person. The writer said He's fairer than 10,000 to my soul. He's fairer than the lilies. In rarest bloom, the songwriter adds. He's Jesus, the lowly. He's Jesus, the one and only. He's Jesus, the Savior of our soul. And that friend ought to motivate us in this matter of missions. The loveliness of his person. And then there's love and his passion. And when I use the word passion, we're referring to his death. He died. And you know why he died? He loved us. Amen. He loved us. Now, I might argue that he died because it was required of his father and he loved his father. And I understand that. 
But he could have called those angels to deliver him. But he chose to make his face set like a flint toward Jerusalem. And he went anyway. And there he said, Father, you forgive them for they know not what they do. Weeping over his city, he said, I'd have called you together. And you would not, friend, he died because he loved us. Greater love have no man than this, John chapter 15, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. But he goes on to say, ye are my friends. Uh, if you do whatsoever I have commanded you to do. He did this because, said the songwriter, he loved me. There's a loveliness in his person. There's love in his passion. There's life in his purpose. Uh, ah, he had a purpose. Uh, the Bible said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, let me just go on record as saying he sought me uh, and he bought me. Uh, and he's brought me out of where I used to be. And I'd say what he did that for was because you and I were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sins. We were dead without Christ. Our lives were ruined, wrecked, and wrecked. And we were headed for hell without hope or remedy. But thank God he loved us enough and that he set a purpose about us. And his purpose was to give us life. And he said in Christ we have that life. And in Christ, it's an abundant life. In Christ, it's a life worth living. That ought to motivate us in this thing of missions. And then I'd say this, and I'll just move on. Not only is there, uh, there is there a loveliness in his person and a love in his passion, and there's life in his purpose, but there's the matter is personal in my life. Amen. This is personal. You see, I too was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I've been found. I've been, I've received my sight and I've been given life when I was dead. And it's personal to me. I wonder what would happen if we started giving way to testimony. Wonder what would happen if I said, tell us for a minute about your, as we say sometimes down south, experience of grace. Tell us how you got in. Tell us where he found you. Tell us what circumstances there were in your life. Wonder if anybody would stand up and say, I was a church child, uh, raised in the shadow of a steeple, but I got saved by the grace of God because being a church kid wouldn't get me to heaven. Uh, Wonder if anybody would stand up and say, well, I'm glad he is a church kid. But I wasn't eyes raised in a bootlegger's home and eyes out in the woods of the steel or, or the illicit substance or making, uh, selling dope or heroin or marijuana or whatever the case might be in my life was ruined and wrecked by sin. But Jesus passed by. Oh, what a difference he's made. Somebody tell us, somebody tell us, somebody tell us. My home was in disarray, but I met the Savior. Uh, I was headed for hell, but I met the Savior. Uh, I couldn't help myself, but I met the Savior. You see, it's personal. Uh, I don't know what your testimony is, uh, but it's personal tonight. Uh, that Jesus uh, has made a difference in your life, uh, and He can do the same uh, for somebody else. Uh, wherever the gospel's planted, uh, it has an ability to grow and to prosper and to change lives. Thank God. I'm telling you, Jesus is what's made a difference. So we come across the little word, He. There's a sovereign Savior. Number two, 
Now don't you go three or four words into the text and circle the second word. And that's the word them. You say, preacher, what motivates you in this matter of missions? Well, he does. Amen. But they do. There's something about them. Who's the them in the text? He said unto them, this is the ones that are going to go. This is the servants that are steadfast. Friend, I'm telling you, when I go back there, and I've been back there, and I'll go back tonight. When I go back there and look on that wall, and I see those pictures of those missionaries that you as a church have partnered with. I see families. I see little boys and little girls and moms and dads that have sacrificed so much and gave up so much. And they've left so much to go somewhere on our behalf. And to tell somebody about Jesus. Every missionary, hey, listen to me. They're not missionaries, they're missionaries. They're heroes of the faith. Amen. They don't take pleasure in asking for your money. They don't take pleasure in trusting in your faithfulness for their substance. I get that. I'll tell you what they've done. They've set themselves aside. They've laid their pride aside. They're trusting God and they're trusting you. And they've gone somewhere. The Bible said they hazard their lives for the sake of the gospel. If I stood you missionaries that are in the building up, they'd say, no sacrifice, preacher. We've not gave up anything, preacher. I've read them. I've heard them. I've had them say that to me. But yet we know there is something they gave up and something they walk away from. They may have settled it in their mind and it's not that emotional bind that they had before. But I'm telling you, your missionaries are still fast and they serve faithfully and they motivate me if they're willing to go I ought to be willing to give if they're willing to stay I ought to be willing to pray I ought to be willing to get on my face before God and say Lord help them in those endeavors amen servants that are steadfast they leave some things let me give you three and we're moving on number one they leave familiar things Amen. Let me say that again. They leave familiar things. We are people of habit. And you're looking at one that's terrible that way. I'm a ruddy kind of individual. I, I live my life in a rut. I could eat the same thing every Monday or the, have the same meal every Wednesday for lunch. That's the way I used to operate when, when I was in college and, 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 and set my own schedule in those regards. That's just, just me. We don't, but but your missionary leaves things that are familiar. Uh, yes, Amen. They leave their country. Uh-huh. And if they don't leave their country, maybe they're domestic. Maybe they're going somewhere out west or whatever. It's not Georgia. That's right. Amen. 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 I've been to Dundee. I've been to Scotland. It's not Atala. Mm-hmm. Not many places are. <laughs> Amen. There's some familiar things. There's cultural things. They're going to have to leave some things behind. Amen. I know it's the cliche statement, but your missionaries sometimes go, there's not a Walmart. You say, well, whoopee. It wouldn't be a whoopee to you if there wasn't nowhere else to go. Amen. Huh? If I were to introduce you to the Keith Shoemaker family, Brother Keith and his family are in a country called Burkina Faso in Africa. It's the only place in the entire world I've ever gone, and I've been there. It's the only place I've ever gone in the entire world that has no Western fast food restaurants. Not one. 
mean, everywhere else I've gone in the world, they like Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and Dunkin' Donuts. Why those three? I don't know, but they're there. Amen. But not in Burkina Faso. They can't even get a hamburger that tastes like an American hamburger. Hmm? I was over there visiting, and we were down in a Western store, which Western is Western Europe, not United States. There they can at least pick up some cereals and things that are somewhat like they would get here in the state. They're produced by the Nestle Corporation. And I got to thinking, it's hot. I don't know if y'all realize that, but Africa's kind of warm. And I'm walking around in this little store, and I thought, man, some ice cream would be good. And I hadn't seen anybody selling any ice cream anywhere. Well, they don't. Nobody sells ice cream in Burkina Faso. And so I walked by this frozen food case, and it was crusted over with ice. It was about four inches thick. Down inside of it was some some pints of Ben and Jerry's. No, I'll take that back. There was some pints of Haagen-Dazs ice cream. Remember, it come out of Europe. And I looked down in there, and I thought, well, that'd be a nice treat. We'll get some ice cream, take it back for everybody. Well, I don't know how y'all eat ice cream. But if I'm going to eat ice cream, and I don't let myself eat ice cream often, but if I'm going to eat ice cream, a pint's just a good start. <laughs> Say amen right there. Y'all, don't y'all look at me like, oh, we're satisfied with three little spoonfuls and we've met our quota. No, 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 no. We start with half gallons, and I don't know if y'all have looked lately, but they're not half gallons anymore. They're 48 ounces. <laughs> amen. Inflation goes in two directions. And I thought to myself, I'm going to pick up some of that ice cream and we'll take it all back. So I counted and there was like, well, there's six shoemakers and then there's five of our team that's over there. That's 11. We need 11 of those pints. And then I saw the price tag. They were 20 U.S. dollars a piece. Yeah, I'll let you get your tongues off the floor now. Pick your chins up, all right? 20 U.S. dollars. And that's just a familiar thing. They didn't die because they didn't have ice cream. Somebody sent them an ice cream freezer and they started making their own. But they didn't die because they didn't have ice cream. I'm just talking about familiar things. You may grow to hate McDonald's because it's where you run through too often, too many days in the week. But they have give up familiar things. Then number two, you ought to take note, they give up family things. They give up family things. They have to leave a grandmother or a grandfather or a mother or a dad behind. They leave a brother behind, a son behind. They're leaving those things. Yes, I got it. They got FaceTime. I understand Skype works. I know there's a telephone. It's not the same as sitting across the dinner table. It's not the same as a hug. Amen. But they forfeited those things that are... Family base. They won't be there for Christmas. They're not going to have turkey and dressing on Thanksgiving. They're not going to be there for those occasions in their children and grandchildren's lives. Uh, they're going to be separated because of what God has asked them to do. They don't complain about it. They do it willingly. But I'm here to tell you that motivates me. What little I've been asked to give is no problem in light of what they're having to leave behind. They leave behind familiar things. They leave behind family things. And then write down this one. They leave behind things of faith. Oh, yeah. They won't have their church to go to. They're not going to have the camp meeting. They're not going to have the friendship of... And, and look, I get it. Sometimes they're in different areas, in different places. There's more or less of that. But I, I know men that are in places today where they would have to travel 100 miles to have another English-speaking preacher... Huh? Yeah, I get it. They can get the Holy Ghost in the language that they're that they're serving in, 
But it sure don't, it sure ain't like it was when it was at their church. Amen. Are you listening? They leave some things. They hazard their lives. But there's some thems in this thing of missions. They motivate me. Write down number three. I think we're going to knock this one out tonight. It's still fairly early. Number one, there's the He. Here, the Savior that's sovereign. Number two, there's them. They're servants that are steadfast. Number three, I just want you to circle the word gospel. He told him, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen. Now, I got to tell you, I skipped right over the word world. I'm not motivated by the world. I'm instructed to reach the world, but that don't motivate me. But I do know something about the gospel. Amen. You do remember that Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse number 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, the, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, we're to understand something. We're to understand something. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Brother Howard Alverson can encounter an unsaved individual on the streets of Forfar that does not know about Noah and the ark. And if he can give them the gospel, they can get saved. They don't have to know about Daniel and the lion's den. They don't have to know about Jesus walking on water. I know, I know, some of you got real nervous on me right there. They don't have to know that he ever took five loaves and two fishes and fed the multitudes. But they'll never get to heaven unless they know the gospel. That Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. And it is the gospel that men must know so that they can be saved. That's why he said go preach the gospel. Go preach the gospel. Now don't, 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 don't read further than that was intended to go. I've known men take the Noah and the ark and preach on the gospel. Amen. Huh? You say, really? Well, I did it this summer. Last night of a three-night Bible school in Gooding, Idaho, and they gave me the topic. I was dealing with Noah and the ark. Probably not my favorite subject to talk about. But I told the Lord, if I'm going to have those teenagers for 40 minutes every night, I sure do want to make sure they get the gospel. You know what I preached on or taught on on the last night? Don't miss the boat. She's sailing. Don't miss the boat. And I said, when I got done, if you want a little information more about that, while they go down for snacks, stay behind. And I had a 17-year-old young man stay behind. He said, what do you mean by that? And about 20 minutes later, he said, I got it. He got saved by the wonderful grace of God. I'm just saying, I'm motivated by the gospel because it had the, it, it, it affected me. <laughs> I once was lost, but now I'm found. The gospel is the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. You say, preacher, what is the gospel? It's a salvation that's sufficient. I stand before you in the pulpit of the Lighthouse Baptist Church in central Georgia. And I look you eyeball to eyeball and I say, it's enough, it's enough, it's enough. It's not Jesus plus works. 
It's not Jesus plus a church membership. It's not Jesus plus the waters of a baptistry. It's not Jesus plus knowing who mom and daddy and this, that, and the other. Oh, but it's Jesus and the gospel. That's what saves mankind. And friend, that motivates me in this matter of missions. Let me, let me, let me make three statements and I'm going to move on. This gospel. This salvation that's sufficient. Why does it motivate you? Number one, it's good for the world. The world. (laughs) Woo! That's a pretty big order. But the blood of Christ is sufficient. It's sufficient for 500,000 in a 20 mile radius of Dundee. Oh, and by the way, there's enough. The darkest Africa to the brightest of cities. Yeah. It works. Amen. And that's my second thought. You see, you see, it's for the world and it works. It's the only thing that works. Right. And then, then, then it's for the worst. It works for the worst in the world. <laughs> you won't find a sinner too dark that he cannot say. I was in the panhandle of Florida and I got his name wrote down. I, I won't take time. I always forget his name when I tell the story. But I was in a missions meeting in the panhandle, of, not the panhandle, over on the east coast of Florida. There's a Rock of Ages guy there in the meeting. He goes to that church. They ask him to come up and give a presentation and, and give a little update because there were some other pastors in there. And he got talking about, he said, my favorite part, he'd been Rock of Ages for 20 years. He said, my favorite part's working with death row inmates. And then he got telling. He said, he said, I don't know if any of y'all ever been on death row. He said, I have. And he said, those men are in solitary cells. And he said, they got steel doors. They're not in, in bars like the general population. He said, they're in, they're in blocked, walled rooms with a steel door. And there's nothing on that steel door. <clears throat> he said, but about a slot just big enough for them to slide that tray through where they feed them their meals. He said they have a stainless steel bed and a stainless steel toilet and a stainless steel sink. That's all they got. Death row. And he said, it stinks on death row. I'm not talking about, that's not a figurative speech. It's literal. He said it's an odor. It's unbelievable. He said it's nasty. And he said they keep a ventilation system Huge fans. He said, everyone I've ever been in, he said, there's a ventilation system that's circulating that air in that, and he said, it's loud. He said, it's just, it's just a roar. And he said, here I am. And he said, you try to witness through that little slot where they get their meal. And he said, they can't hear you and you can't hear them. But he said, I found an answer. He said, on the bottom of that steel door, brother Dent, he said, there's about a two and a half inch gap between the concrete floor and the bottom of the of the steel door. And he said, I found out if somebody really wants to talk to you about their soul, that I can lay down on my stomach in the hallway, in the death row section of the prison. And he said, I can look underneath that door and see their eyes. And he said, I don't know if you realize how nasty that floor is. But he said, I figured if my Savior could go to Calvary to save sinners, I could get down on the dirty floor of a prison Lay my ear on the concrete and look underneath that little two inch or two and a half inch gap 
and tell an old rotten good-for-nothing sinner that deserves what he's about to get that he can be saved. I can't keep him from dying in the electric chair or the injection chamber. But he said, I can tell him how he can live forever in the streets of glory. Hey, I'm telling you, we got a gospel that works no matter how bad they are, no matter how far they go. It works. And that ought to motivate us. Well, I promised you four words. He, there's a sovereign Savior in they. They're steadfast servants. The gospel, there's a sufficient salvation. But I want you to focus with me for the last couple of minutes of our time together tonight on the last word in verse 15. It's the word creature. And here's my little thought. They're sinners that are souls. You see, if I... If I were to tell some of you that are local, lived here all your life, I'd say, I want to see the dark side of America's. Every town has one. You might could take me. If you didn't take me, you could tell me how to get there. <coughs> I was in Costa Rica. I was in Costa Rica a long time ago. I had two preacher boys with me. And... uh we were supposed to have a bigger group that kind of fell apart and ended up being just two of us. And we was, we was holding a series of meetings for Freed Ware. He was in Costa Rica. Brother Freed had kept those boys pretty sheltered. Now these were, one of them was married at the time and the other was engaged. And so they were, they were not, they were not young teens by no stroke of the imagination. But, 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 but here we are and, Man, we'd preach the meeting, we'd do a little visitation, you know, but he kept them where it was pretty, I mean, it was pretty, I mean, it's pretty nice areas, you know. I said to Freed one night, we were sitting around after supper, and I said, I said, Freed, these boys need to see something rough. They ain't seen the real Costa Rica yet. They ain't seen the wrong side of the tracks. They ain't seen the bad side. And I think I ticked Brother Freed off a little bit. He said, you want to show them the bad side? Get in the car. Right now, just get in the truck. It's about 10 o'clock at night. We got in his big old pickup. He said, lock the doors. And I mean, keep them locked. I thought, we're going to the bad side. I done pushed his button. And we'd ride down the street. The prostitutes were out. The dope dealers were out. The thieves were in the shadows we didn't see. Vile, wretched. But I could look at those two boys that were sitting in the back seat. And I could say, Jesus can save them. Jesus can save them. Jesus can save them. Jesus can save them. He can make a difference in their lives. Amen. Jesus has called us to take the gospel to the creatures. And what we do is we get focused on the sinner. Well, he's a thief. He's a liar. He's a cheat or something even worse than that. Man, that goes against our grain. We is brought up better than that. Our mama taught us better than that. If their mama had taught them, they wouldn't have been the mess they're in. Somebody say amen right there. He goes against it. We get all focused on the sinner. The sin part. The vile. The wicked. The hateful. Amen. The body piercings. The tattoos. The paint. The enemy that they are against you and I. We get all, all focused on that. What about this? Their souls. What about just like me and you. Amen. There's a part of them that is eternal 
It's going to spend an eternal destiny in heaven or in hell. And we got to quit looking through the eyes of the sin. And we got to see the soul. And there's a value in a soul. No matter how much it's tarnished on the outside. No matter how much it's been beaten and battered and broken on the outside. There's something on the inside that was worth something. You say, preacher, what's it worth? I'll tell you what it was worth. It's worth the Savior's life. He shed His blood and He died at Calvary so that they could be saved, so that they could have life, so that they could avoid hell, so that they could go to heaven, so that He could change them. Stop looking at the temporal and start seeing the soul that so desperately needs a Savior. There's a instructive description. The soul reminds us that it is eternal. There's an ignorant depravity. They've not all rejected Christ. Some have just never heard. Howard Alverson's going to a country that as a nation more or less rejected Christ. But he's going to touch a generation that doesn't. They've not rejected Christ. They don't even know what he's done. And that's not just in Dundee or Forfar. That'd be in Atlanta, Georgia, and probably in Albany and a little bit in Americas. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> They've not rejected your God. Come on. Nobody's ever introduced him to them. Mm. They've never let the light in. Sometimes you'd be surprised. I said at the supper table the other night, and he said, did you see, I was in Mormon country in Utah, and he said, did you see that girl? He, he, he described the girl in the church service, and I said, oh, yeah. Said she was raised a devout Mormon. But the Mormon church didn't open up during COVID, and so she wanted to get out of the college dorm, and so she came to our church. 18 months. Said, I'd put her up against any of our independent Baptist preacher friends if they wanted to debate her religion. She could hold her ground. But said she had questions. Said, it kept me on my toes. The Kirkman said, kept me on my toes, but he said, I kept praying and I kept giving her answers and I kept taking her to the book. And he said, oh, about six months ago, <laughs> she got to the end of being a Mormon and became a believer. Amen. Got saved. How about that? How about that? God can reach in to those that are stooped in religion. She never rejected Jesus Christ. She'd just never been told who Jesus was. Your missionary is going to go tell them. That motivates me. Because, because they're ignorant in their depravity. There's an impending destruction. Impending. They're going to go to hell if we don't reach them for Christ. But lastly, there's an, there is an imaginable delight. They can get Saved. <laughs> Woo! Amen. My friend Keith Blaylock and and uh, I'll try not to tell you too many stories every night, but every once in a while they just fit. My friend Keith Blaylock's a missionary in the country of Bulgaria, and uh, he works with an odd group of people. He works with Turkish gypsies. And even in South Georgia, if you say gypsy, there's a mindset. There's an image that pops up. It just came right there. Every one of you thought about gypsies. 
He said, well, that word carries that idea, that connotation, because it's true. Now, there's a million Turkish gypsies in Romania and Bulgaria combined, a million of them. He said the government don't want them there. The people hate them. They won't, they won't give them a job. They won't reach out to them when they give away handouts. They, I mean, you know, when the government steps in to help, they don't help them. He said, there's a reason. He said, everything you've ever heard about a gypsy is true and a whole lot more. He said, they'll cheat you, they'll rob you, they'll stab you in the back, they'll blind, they'll, 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 they'll steal everything you got while they're standing there talking to you. He said, they'll, they're just terrible people. At that time, Keith Blaylock probably, last time he's lost half of himself, but I'm sure he was pushing the 400 pound mark. And I was in Albemarle, North Carolina, and he started trembling. He just shaking. He just told you what I just told you. Tears started rolling down his face. And in a minute, this is what he said, Howard. He said, but they're savable. Oh, yeah. Hey. They're savable. Oh, what a delight that an old, vile, wretched gypsy could get saved by the grace of God. And then if we'll look at ourselves, we're nothing but creatures. We crawled out from under some rock somewhere and ought to have been in hell with our back broke. But the gospel of Jesus Christ has liberated us and gave us life worth living. And what he's done for us, friend, he'll do for somebody else. And that motivates us in this matter of New Testament missions. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Brother David, you come. Here's what needs to happen this week. Here's what needs to happen. Every believer needs to present themselves before the Lord and say, Lord, whatever you wish for me to do, will be what I will endeavor to do. I'll pray, I'll give, I'll testify, I'll go. Oh my. And maybe the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart tonight and the message was broad. I intended for it to be and the Holy Ghost did. Maybe you want to come down and tell the Lord thank you for saving you. Maybe you need to slip off somewhere and say, Lord, you stirred my heart to pray for a missionary on some field somewhere. Maybe the Lord nudged you about some sinner that needs the Savior that you know. And you want to get down on your knees and ask God to do a work of grace in that sinner's heart. However the Holy Ghost spoke to you is all right. 